Karen is Karen. Our uh, text that we're going to be looking at is from Jesus as he continues his uh, Sermon on the Mount. And he says this, and we're going to read this and then pray. You are the salt of the earth. But if the salt loses its saltiness, how could it be made salty again? It's no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled underfoot. You are the light of the world. A town built on a hill cannot be hidden. Neither do people light a a lamp and put it under a bowl. Instead, they put it on a stand and it gives light to everyone in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others that they may see your good deeds and glorify your Father in heaven. Let's pray. Father, would you guide us? Would you guide my words, Lord? I want them to be yours. No one here needs anything in my own opinion. We're surrounded by people's opinion. We need your revelation. Father, we live in this world, and we we live in the now and not yet. We live in the time where we have received the first fruits of the Spirit within us, and and we've, we've begun to see you change us, but until you come back and make everything right, we live in a time of waiting. So would you show us through these metaphors that you're, uh, that you're talking about our role, our job description, our purpose in the meantime? Thank you, Father. Amen. Have you ever noticed that the world is formed by metaphors? Metaphors, word pictures, they're an indispensable tool to help us understand uh, our world and our place in it. If I tell my wife she is the light of my life, uh, the apple of my eye, the cream of my Oreo, she knows what I mean, makes her happy. If I tell someone else, never told my wife this, uh, someone else that they're dumb as a rock, box of rocks, they're a taco short of a combination plate, um, the lights are on but no one's home, you get the idea. They swam in the shallow end of the gene pool. Well, those are just word pictures, but they convey a point very uh very pungently and, and uh, picturesquely, right? In the same way, did you ever notice that over and over again, God gives us metaphors to help us understand him and us, especially in our relationship? Shepherd. The Lord is my shepherd. And sometimes I've just clung to that metaphor. God is our father. God is our rock. God's the water of life. So God gives us metaphors to understand who he is, but also our place in this world, our purpose, as it were. In the passage we looked at today, he gives us two great metaphors. They're very, very ordinary metaphors in the sense that they're every day, but they're very profound as well. Together, they show you and they show me what our role is in regards to the world. We are Christians, but we are living within the world. So what is our role to be towards the world itself? So he gives Jesus, as he begins his teaching ministry on the Sermon on the Mount, he gives the description of righteousness of the kingdom and the Beatitudes. And now he he tells us what that righteousness is to look like in the world. And he's primarily going to do this in two metaphors. First is salt. Salt. Something we use every day, right? This is regarded as a human necessity. In the ancient world, it was even more valuable than in ours because salt has two uses. One is flavoring. We still use it for that. 
But of course, the other, most of you probably know this, is to preserve food. So if you were living in Israel in 30 AD, or Indiana in 1830 for that matter, uh, if you had some meat that you wanted to, to use two weeks from now instead of right now, uh, you didn't pop it in the freezer. You heavily salted it. And the salt acted as a preservative. It kept the meat from rot. And I believe that's what Jesus is talking primarily here, that that's part of our job description as Christ followers. The righteousness of the Beatitudes is not just for ourselves. It is something that we are to affect the world with. It should help keep the world from getting worse than it is and make it better. And then Jesus talks about the problem here. But if the salt loses its saltiness. Now think about that. Jesus is saying that we are the salt of the earth. We have a great high calling, right? We're not just here twiddling our thumbs. We have a purpose. But that purpose can be lost. How? He says the salt loses its saltiness. What good is it? It's only good to be thrown out and trampled underfoot. How can salt lose its saltiness? Well, a chemist would tell you that sodium chloride, NaCl, is a very stable compound. It doesn't, it doesn't change. It doesn't actually lose its saltiness. But you have to remember, Jesus was speaking in Israel in 30 AD or so, and he didn't have pure uh, sodium chloride like this. Instead, he would have something like this. Now, what is this? This is a little bit of salt and a whole lot of other white powders that I found and I just mixed in. Because back then, you didn't get salt you know, from the Morton salt plant. Instead, people would go down to the Dead Sea, and down at the Dead Sea, they had all these salt deposits, right? And uh, some of you have been there. How many have been to the Dead Sea? Yeah, yeah. Um, and if you go there, you, you know, the water has a, it's about 12 times more saltwater dense than the ocean. 12 times more saltwater dense than the ocean. So, and it evaporates all along here. So all along the shore, you have these salt deposits, but they're mixed in with, with dust and, and, and just dirt and other minerals. So what you had as salt in 30 AD in Israel was going to be something that was a mixture of sodium chloride, but with an awful lot of other white powdery residue. And sometimes... In a, in a humid, if it's a humid situation, the sodium chloride would actually get washed out. And so what you had was something like this. It looked like salt, but it wasn't. There wasn't enough sodium chloride left to have any preservative effect. That's what Jesus is talking about. It can, we can lose our saltiness by the impurities that we let inside of us. That, uh, and we can become so impure they were never able to live up to be in the salt of the world. Now, now think about who God wants you to be salt for in a minute, for a second. Think about family members who, who don't know him or need to know him more. Think about people you work with or go to school with. Think about your neighbors, where you live. These are people that we have this great high calling towards to be salt, to help preserve our culture but we can only do this if we don't lose our saltiness. We'll come back to that a little bit. The second metaphor is that of light. Jesus says, you are the light of the world. Now we should remember right off the bat that the Gospel of John over and over again tells us that Jesus is the light of the world. So how can we both be? Well, it's this way. Those of us who have come into a relationship with Jesus are able to reflect him. 
Think of, think of those little glow stars. Maybe you or your kids had these, you know, and you put them on your ceilings. And, you know, if you just take them out of a drawer and put them on the ceiling, they don't glow at all. They have to absorb light. In the same way, we have a light. Here, here's a better illustration, though. Think of the moon. Think of the moon on a dark night. Think of the moon on a dark night in the countryside, and, and the only thing lighting up, there's no lights around or anything, the only thing light in the sky at all is that moon. Without that moon, it would be pitch dark, right? But with the moon, it makes it possible to see a lot of things. In fact, I've gone on hikes in the moonlight. How many of you gone on hikes in the moonlight? Oh, a few of you. It's a fun time. Um, you can't do that, though, if there is no moonlight because uh, you can't see where you're going at all. But here's the point. In a dark night, the moon is the only light there is, and sometimes it's enough to know where you're going. It's enough. But that moon has no light on its own. It can only reflect the light that comes from beyond itself. And I believe that's kind of what Jesus is getting at when he says that you and I are called to be the light of the world. Think of this. We have this high purpose that we can reflect God's light into the darkness of our culture. Now, Jesus says the absurd thing to do would be to try to hide this light. He said, you know, whoever takes a, a lamp and instead of putting it on the stand, puts it on the ground and covers it. Now, back then, they're at, actually, the lamp Jesus was talking about would be something like this. It wouldn't be metal, of course, but it'd be a large bowl filled with olive oil uh, or other oil, and there would be a wick inside of it floating, and that would and that would be the only light. You didn't have electric lights. You didn't have much, much in the way of windows. So you would put that on the stand in the middle of the room. It wasn't great, but obviously if you're going to have a light, you're going to put it in the stand, put it in the middle of the room, and it lights the whole light, whole room. What you won't want to do is this. And Jesus says that would be absolutely absurd, right? Because the whole point of a light is to be seen. But he's warning us that though we are the light of the world, our light can be hidden. And it'd be just as pointless for us to be the light of the world to have a hidden light as it would be to light a lamp and put it under a bushel. And then he extends the metaphor a little bit. A city set on a hill cannot be hidden. Now, we don't have too many hills around here in Indiana, right? Unfortunately. But they do in Israel. And if you're traveling at night, again, there's darkness all around you. Nothing would be more visible than a whole than a city set on a hill with its lights uh, and its fires. And this reminds us that this is not just about our own individual righteousness, but about the community of the church together. Now, the result is this. In the same way, let your light shine so that others see your good works and glorify your Father in heaven. So it's, it's something that should attract non-believers to understand and respond to the glory of God. We have to be careful here, because right in the same Sermon of the Mount, uh, right in the next chapters, Jesus is going to warn us against doing our acts of righteousness like the Pharisees do in order to be seen by men. Now, what's the difference? Well, the Pharisees were doing it primarily fasting, giving, uh, praying in, in front of other religious people. The world's not going to be impressed by that, but they wanted the approval and applause of other religious people. Here, we're told to do it before the world. 
Secondly, they were doing it for praise for themselves, where Jesus is talking about we should be the ones doing this so that our Father is praised. Now, so we have two metaphors, salt and light. This, this is our job description. This is your job description. This is, if you're a believer in Jesus, a follower of his, and this is mine. I want to draw three applications for us. First, we as Christians have a great high calling to the world. We are not called to live lives in holy, splendid isolation from the world, but to engage it. Salt cannot preserve meat unless it's in direct contact with the meat. Light cannot illuminate the darkness if it's covered or hidden. We must engage the world. You know, Jesus taught this around the Sea of Galilee. If you follow the Jordan River, 150, 200 miles south, you come to the Dead Sea. It's already mentioned. Huge salt deposits all around there. And uh, and it's a place where there's not much else going on. Uh, Not many plants, not many animals. There's a religious community that settled down in in the Dead Sea area. In fact, we get the Dead Sea Scrolls from them because we found their, their documents uh, in the 20th century. So we actually know quite a bit about them. They were called the Essenes, E-S-S-E-N-E-S, the Essenes. They were so put off. They, they had the same opinion as Jesus did about the corruption of the world, that even the religious people were corrupt, the religious leaders especially, and, and the powerful and the elite. And there was so much Uh, evil and violence in the world. They had a very negative opinion of the world, just as Jesus seems to do when he says that the world's in darkness. And their solution to this was to create this holy huddle, this commune of several hundred people, totally cut off from the pollution of the world. And they called themselves the sons of light. They called themselves the sons of light. So here they were surrounded in their salt barricade, calling themselves the sons of light, and yet totally separate from the world. I can't help but wonder if Jesus was casting a sideways glance down at the Essenes. Yeah, they called themselves light, they lived in the salt, but they weren't affecting the world as salt or light at all. Would he do that for us as well? Would he say, we're not impacting the world? We're in a more of a holy huddle. Second, in this calling to the world, We have to be distinct from the world. Salt has to be in contact with the meat, but first of all, it actually has to be salt, not road dust. Light must not be hidden, but it actually has to be light, not darkness. We live in a time where more and more, the temptation is to make the church like the world, to minimize Christian distinctives and doctrines, uh, to basically mimic the worldly entertainment, And more, we live in a time where many Christians live in their work or their school or their homes pretty much like the rest of the world. We use the same language. We watch the same shows. We tell the same jokes. We don't embody the spirit of the Beatitudes. We embody pretty much the spirit of the world around us, just a few of the baser, pruder elements removed. Brennan Manning once said, the greatest single cause of atheism in the world today is Christians who acknowledge Jesus with their lips and walk out the door and deny him with their lifestyle. That is what an unbelieving world simply finds unbelievable.
What a letdown, right? From being salt of the earth to just being road dust. Not in our value to Christ, but in our purpose and our role. From being the light of the world to simply being more darkness because we're hid. It's only as we are different from the world that we can affect the world. Third, last point here. We must always remember that Jesus is the source of the light. I am the light of the world, Jesus says. And here he says we are too. How can they both be? Well, go back to the metaphor we used earlier, that of the moon. The moon has no light of its own, right? It's just a big rock in the sky. It has no light. There's no fire, no luminescence, no light emanating from the, from the moon itself, not even a candlelight. If the sun went out for a day, the moon would be completely dark, right? And yet a full moon can light up the entire, the entire uh, place before us. How? Because it reflects a light that it does not have. It can, this is maybe pushing the analogy a little bit here, maybe more than Jesus intended, but I think it still works. Have you ever noticed that it can only reflect the light to the world to the extent that the world does not get in the way of the moon receiving the light? What is a full moon? That's simply the sun reflecting on the moon when the earth is not in the way at all. What is it when there's no moon? That's when the earth is entirely blocked, the sun or the moon from, from receiving its light. Think about that analogy for just for a second. Maybe it's also true of us that part of the reason we don't shine more is because we're not really receiving the light from Christ. The world is in the way. Emily Dickinson, in a slightly different context, she put it like this, the world is too much with us. So maybe the question to ask ourselves is, what would it take for me to have the world less with me and more receiving the light of Christ? What would it take about my priorities, about what I watch, what I listen to on my way to work, how I spend my time, whether I have my devotions, my quiet time or not, whether I come to church? What is it for me that would change me from being just a sliver to being a quarter moon or a half moon or, or more, something that can reflect that light? Jesus says, you are a light in the darkness. So the question is for us, how full is the moon that we are reflecting back to the world? What did you think about that question as we sing this last song? I'm going to ask Kevin and Nate to come. It's good to have Nate and Abby back with us for a few weeks. Love these guys. We're going to sing Shine, Jesus, Shine. And we can sing this as a song, or you can sing it as a prayer to God. Shine on me so that I can shine to the world.